You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. We're in a series this summer. Uh, we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're reading, studying, preaching, teaching 1 Corinthians as a letter to Lake Erie Church. That in reality, just as Paul was writing to a group of believers in the city of Corinth in the southern of Greece, or the south of Greece, he was in fact writing to a church in Lake County, Ohio. And there's something in this chapter, in this book, that is speaking powerfully to uh, our congregation and to our church. And I hope that you're getting out of that the things that God is trying to say uh, to us. George Santana is renowned to have made this statement many years ago in his book in 1906. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. It basically means that you should not be making the same mistakes over and over and over and over because the past is teaching you. It's like a child who touches a hot stove. It's like having your fingers in the door and being, having them crushed when the door is closed. Something about that experience will indelibly etch your mind and you'll go, I don't want to do that again. That's what Paul is saying in chapter 10. He's reminding them that all of us have a past. Our forefathers teach us because of the experiences that they have. I thought about this a good bit recently about all of us. We all have a past and we all relate to our past in a couple of different ways. Some of us are completely divorced from our past. Maybe it was painful and difficult and we've simply tried to blot it out of our mind and, and move on as if it didn't exist. Others of us celebrate the things that are a part of our past and sometimes we obsess about them so much that people get tired of hearing us talk about our past. What's in the past? Well, our past failures are there. Things that we did, wish that we had not done, the experiences of hurt or shame or pain. Some successes and achievements for which we are extremely proud. And there's nothing wrong with being proud of the things that are in our past. Many years ago, I was doing a study on the life of Joseph, and I wrote a book entitled Embracing Destiny, and the theme of that book was that yesterday, Joseph's life teaches us that yesterday never defines today unless we let it. Whatever your past is, whatever yesterday is in your life, it doesn't have the power to define the future unless you let it. And that's the message that Paul is trying to make to this church at Corinth. I told you earlier that we say here at Lake Erie that generations matter. We have identified specifically six generations that worship here every Sunday. 
they're a part of, of our services here. And we, we believe that generations in fact matter. And we are invested in the various generational groups in our church. Thursday night we had an incredible dinner with our senior ministry. Wonderful, wonderful time there. Uh, right now back in the back, 50, 60 children are back there being taught about Jesus and who He is. Our students just got back from Ecuador. Last Wednesday night, our young adults met in a local business establishment for a Bible study and on and on it goes because we believe that the generations matter and we have that responsibility. There's something else about generations. They teach us. The generations that precede us. When you think about this church which is approaching 60 years of existence. This church is built on the foundation of godly men and godly women. Last Sunday, Shelly and I went to the funeral home here in town to show our respects to Dale Workman. Dale was 92. He was a member at Lake Erie. And he and his wife and others like them, Ed Land and Roy Enos, and faithful women like Vernie Bowman and, and Mabel Bickle and people that some of you never knew. But this church stands on their shoulders because they faithfully carried out their responsibility to their generation. And in the same way, we have a responsibility to live out our life in a God-honoring way that leaves a pathway for the next generations. In the same way that I remarked about Judah's future as baby Judah, there are others here that are watching the lives that we live. They're watching the way that we treat each other. They're watching the way that we manage our marriage, our family, our career. And they're building a life philosophy out of what they see going on in our life. A young teenage girl came to my office this morning and asked for prayer. In the time of praying with her, I said to her, What about your Christian friends? How are they helping you? And she said, well, I, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, basically, I, I, I have a friend. She claims to be a Christian, but she doesn't act like a Christian. It's that kind of hypocrisy that always trips up the Christian faith. Always makes it difficult for others that are not believers to come to Jesus because people who name the name of God, who claim to be believers, don't live like believers. Don't treat people like believers. Shelly said to me the other day, we were talking about somebody, and she said, you know, it's just shameful that they name the name of Jesus because of the way that they act. Because it makes unbelievers think all Christians are like that. And so it becomes imperative. And Paul is trying to make this point. He spent three chapters talking about their relationships to each other. And then in chapter 10 he says, I just need to remind you of something. There was a generation before you. There was a generation before you. And they're trying to teach you something. They're trying to tell you something that is important. And I want you to see this. It'll be on the screen. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for just a couple of things here that I want you to see. Look at verse 1. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, that our ancestors are about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. If you're a Bible reader, if you know the stories of the Bible, then you understand he's about to talk about the children of Israel and the Exodus. 
Five things that Paul said about these people out there and their experiences. He said, number one, all of them were led by the cloud that moved ahead of them. Number two, all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. All of them were baptized in the water. All of them ate the same spiritual food, that manna that came. All of them drank the same spiritual water out of the rock. In other words, these are our folk. These are our people, our fathers. Verse 5. Yet God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now remember that the promise of God was that they could live in the promised land. But because they did not keep their lives straight. Because they did not keep their promise to God. Most of them died in the wilderness. Verse 5. Yet God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And then as Jason read... Here's Paul's warning. We should not crave evil things as they did. He's talking to Lake Erie Church. He's talking to people who are watching me right now online. People who will listen to a podcast. Don't crave evil things like that generation did. Don't worship idols as some of them did. Don't engage in sexual immorality as some of them did. Don't put Christ to the test as some of them did. Don't grumble, he said, as some of them did. Then he says in verse 10, they were, what is that word? Destroyed. These people in whom God had invested so much, these people in whom God had blessed so much, they were destroyed by the angel of death. Paul, why are you telling us this? Why are you trying to make this point to our church? He picks it up in verse 11. These things were recorded in our history as examples to warn us who live in the end of the age. It's a companion to the verse in Romans chapter 15 verse 4. It's not going to be on your screen. But Paul wrote, For all those words which were written long ago are meant to teach us today that when we read the scriptures of the endurance of men and all the help that God gave them, we may be encouraged to go on hoping in our own time. In other words, Paul said, these things are written down in the Bible so that when we read them, we will gain encouragement by knowing that if God helped them, God will in fact help us. God will strengthen us. So let me give you two warnings that Paul makes in this chapter that speak so loudly to every person who's hearing me right now. I want you to get these two. They're very, very important. Number one, you are more vulnerable than you think. Look at your neighbor and tell them you're more vulnerable than you think. Verse 12. You still have your Bibles open. It'll be on the screen. Verse 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. So in other words, you think you got this covered. Remember, he's talking to believers now. He's not talking to sinners. He said, you think you've got this covered. You think you're standing strong. Be careful not to fall. He goes on in 13 to say, the temptations in your life are no different from what other people experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. What are you saying, Paul? 
Paul is saying, listen, don't get so haughty and so arrogant about your faith that you think that you are not vulnerable. A few years ago, the Wall Street Journal put out a list called the 100 Least Powerful People in the World. And on that list were men who were men and women who were corporate, former corporate executives. Sports figures, politicians, and celebrities. And what they all shared in common is that they once were powerful, but they fell. In some cases, their demise was the result of a poor business decision. In others, they were the victims of circumstances or actions by other people. And then some of them fell from their powerful uh, place as a result of their own moral failures. But the fact of the matter is that none of them ever thought they would find themselves in the place that they were in. And you're not protected in a way that keeps you from being tempted. You have to manage temptations in your life every day. Just because you join the church, just because you come to this church, just because you read your Bible doesn't mean that the enemy is not looking for a way to bring you down. In verse 12, when Paul says, be careful, it's the Greek word, blepo. Seven times in the letter to 1 Corinthians, Paul uses this. And in every case of that phrase, except one, it is a strong command that you should give diligent attention Because something is trying to threaten you. And you need the Holy Spirit to help you. And Paul's warning to every one of us is to be careful. Say that. Be careful. Try it again. Be careful. Thank you. You ever heard anybody make this statement? I'll never do that. Be careful. Because you don't know what you would do if you got in that situation. It's so easy to feel strong, to walk in a faith that says, I'll never do that. Unfortunately, my career in ministry, I have had the unfortunate experiences of having to discipline men and women in ministry who have fallen along the way. And not one of them said, you know, I started out, I wanted to end up just like this. No. I remember one time I was, we had a a conclave and a trial board, whatever you want to call it, a, a meeting. I was about to go into that meeting and I walked out in the lobby and the man who was being tried that day was sitting there in a chair by himself. People everywhere had lauded this man, had driven to hear him preach, had had considered him to be a great and honorable and noble leader. But in a moment, in a moment of weakness, when he wasn't paying attention, the enemy trapped him. He succumbed to a temptation. He made a fatal mistake. And the warning is, be careful. Don't be proud, don't be haughty, be humble. And recognize, as Peter said, that your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Everybody in this room has stuff 
that tempts them. Everybody. As we talked about a few weeks ago, you can't get haughty and say, well, that, that's not a problem for me. Well, okay, God bless you. But it's a problem for your brother. It's a problem for someone else. Be careful. Be careful. This is really a fight to the finish. And the enemy is coming after you. Be careful. I feel like I'm speaking prophetically this morning to some of you who think that that would never happen to me. Be careful. Because the enemy is looking for that spot, that weakness. I've taught for years, you know, we, we must remind ourselves that we have a tendency sometimes to think, well, you know, here's God and here's the devil. No, that's not true. God's here. Devil's way down here. He's not equal to God. He's not even like God. He's an angel. He's one of the angels that God created, but he got proud. And he wanted to be like God. And because he did, he was thrown out of heaven. And he took a third of the angels with him. Those angels are the ones you're dealing with. The powers and the principalities of the air. Paul said, That's, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're fighting spiritual battles because the devil is out trying to find ways to take you away from the fellowship of God. That's what he wants. He doesn't care anything about you. He just wants to keep you from being God's special possession. He's jealous of God. He wants to be like God. So he wants to pull you away so that you won't have that relationship with God. That you were created to have. You know, we, we teach a lot about God that he's omniscient. Meaning he knows everything. Well the devil's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. The devil does not know what you're thinking right now. The only way the devil knows that is if you tell him. Or show him. I mean you may be thinking about a hostess Twinkie right now. But the devil doesn't know that. Unless you stop at the store, pick up a hostess Twinkie and say, I was thinking about this the whole time I was in church. He's not omniscient. We say that God is omnipotent, meaning he's all powerful. The devil is not all powerful. He only has the power that God gives him. The story of Job. He wanted to, he wanted to attack Job. He had to have God's permission. That's why Paul says in this chapter that your temptations are common... And God will never let you be tempted above what you're able. In other words, God's watching for you. He's trying to help you. And He's not going to let the devil tempt you above what you can manage. But God is counting on you to manage your stuff. That's good preaching right there. God's doing His part. Are you doing yours? Are you putting yourself in places where temptation... Is dragging you into sinful habits and behaviors. That's on you. That's on you. You got a problem with substance abuse or alcohol. Don't hang around people that are constantly doing that. That's on you. You got a problem with pornography. Stay off the internet. Stay away from places where you're going to be tempted with stuff like that. That's on you. God is faithful. He'll never let you be tempted above what you're able. 
Meaning that whatever temptations you're going to face, you can manage them if you will. God, God is omnipotent. The devil's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. And God is omnipresent, meaning that God is everywhere at all times. But the devil is not everywhere at all times. The devil is only an angel. He has only the power of an angel. The devil can only be in one place at one time. So if the devil's over at Steve Erickson's house today, there's no chance he's at your place. Because he can only be at one place at one time. Now, he, again, there are many demons and devils and angels and all that kind of stuff. It could be one of them, but it's not the devil because he's only an angel. He can only be in one place at one time. And so it is that the devil is a strategist. So if he's not omniscient, if he doesn't know everything, if he's not all-powerful, and he can't be everywhere at one time, how does he do his business? He studies you. He's a strategist. He watches you. He watches what you say. He watches what you watch. He watches what you're involved with. He watches what you say. And he builds his strategy against you based on what you're showing him. Based on what you're doing repeatedly so he knows that's a weak spot for her. That's a place where I can attack her. If this, if this, if this were your life, it's not really a good one because it's not two-dimensional. But, but if you just looked at this and considered this to be a wall... You're on this side of the wall. The devil's on the other side of the wall. And he's walking along that wall looking for the weak places in your life. He finds a weak place right there. She's incredibly insecure about her looks. So I'll just tempt her in that area because that's where she's vulnerable. He's a strategist. He has an anger issue. He has an anger problem. You provoke him. You put him in a place where his anger will be triggered. He will mess up. He's a strategist. And he's looking for you. He's looking for a way to trip you up. And when he trips you up, he's going to leave you and move on. Collateral damage will be for those that love you, that care for you. That love you in spite of the mistakes that you make. It will be for them to bind up your wounds and help you to get better again. The devil will have moved on. He's only trying to keep you away from God. And you are more vulnerable than you think. You're more vulnerable than you think. And you're always more, you're more vulnerable when you're not paying attention. Some of these believers at Corinth, when you read, they were so arrogant. They were so arrogant about their faith as if nothing could touch them. And Paul said, listen, you better wake up and be careful. Because the devil wants to destroy you. Here's what I worry about for our kids. Some of you are sitting here. Some of you are over here. Listen to me, students. This is what I worry about for you. Because you possess 
the physical ability to destroy your life before you have the mental maturity to realize what you've done. That's why you need a Dustin and Katie Vorse in your life. That's why you need a Jason and Erica Shaw. That's why you need Shelly Isaacs in your life. That's why you need Pastor Naomi and Pastor Steve Gollenberke so that somebody is there along with your parents to help you understand that the choices that you make today, some of those choices will stay with you the rest of your life because the enemy wants to destroy you. I feel so strongly what I'm saying this morning. Listen to me, young lady. God has a plan for your life. He, ha- he says, I know the plans I have for you. They're, they're good plans, future plans, hopeful plans. Don't sacrifice it for one cheap thrill. Don't sacrifice the future, young man, for some cheap, silly nothing that means nothing later. You look back on it and think, what in the world? You're always most vulnerable when you're not paying attention. You're always most vulnerable on the backside of great spiritual moments. I teach this to our staff at times. That's when you're most vulnerable. You come through a great spiritual moment, a great spiritual high, and you go, bam, the devil jumps right on you because you let your guard down. Be careful, he said. Be careful. Second thing that Paul warns them is don't try to play games with God. You're more vulnerable than you think, but don't try to play games with God. Verse 21, he said, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and the table of demons. What? Do we dare rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think that you are stronger than he is? Now remember, as I said before, Paul is talking to born-again Christians now. He's not talking to pagans. He's not talking to heathens. He's talking about church-going folk. He said, you cannot worship at the altar of God and the worship of of the devil at the same time. You can't. You can't worship God with your heart and then give yourself away to the things of the world at the same time. One translator said there's been some confusion at the Corinthian church. People were going to the pagan temples and worshiping the idol gods and then coming into the house of God and partaking of communion. And Paul said it's not right. You need to stop that. That's a bad thing to do. You can't worship at the idol temples and then come in here and take the bread and the wine of the blood and, and, and worship God in that way. See, again, the devil doesn't care what you do with your life. He just doesn't want you to celebrate Jesus and the cross. So here's what happens. Now listen very carefully. This is what happens. There, there is The teaching in the scripture says that when we take communion, which we normally take on the first Sunday, but we will do that next Sunday because so many things were taking place. But when we take communion, we hold in our hands the representation of the body of Jesus and the blood of Christ. And Paul says that a person must examine themselves 
And he goes on to say, you should not do this if you're unworthy because if you do, you are heaping damnation on yourself. And what's happened sometimes is people are so intimidated by that chapter that they will not take communion. You probably yourself at times have wondered, should I do this? Should I, should I do this? You see what the devil's doing is he's trying to keep you from celebrating Jesus and the cross. The damnation here, the issue here is if you're going out there and worshiping the devil and walking in here and trying to worship Jesus. Paul said you can't do that. You can't drink from both cups. You have to decide which cup you're going to drink from. You're either going to drink from the cup of the devil or you're going to drink from the cup of Jesus. You shouldn't be afraid to take communion. You shouldn't be afraid to celebrate the cross. If there's something in your life that needs to be forgiven, then you tell God you're sorry and take the the communion and celebrate the cross. It's the very reason that He forgives you. Don't let the devil keep you from celebrating the cross. That's the only reason. I've, I've had so many people, had someone text me here a few weeks ago because they were afraid that I wasn't being sincere enough. Listen. We need to celebrate the cross and celebrate Jesus. And if you've got issues, deal with them because that's a moment when the cross is right in front of us and we say, God, have mercy on me. And if we sincerely do, guess what? He forgives us. And we take those elements and we celebrate. But you have to choose. Every Sunday when we pray a prayer of salvation, as we will in a few moments, We conclude that prayer with three words. I choose Jesus. They're not just words. It's a declaration. It's a conviction of the heart that says, I'm making a choice and I'm deciding. There are not many things that make God mad. Now, a lot of you think God gets mad a lot. I've had people say, I think God's mad at me. No, He's not. God's not wired to be mad at you. His heart is to love you. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. He did not send His Son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The heart of God is to love you. He's not mad at you. But there are a couple of things that tick God off. Now, I know that's not Bible. Theologian over there, what's the Greek word for ticking God off? I'm not sure what that is. You won't find that in the King James. God got ticked off. You'll probably find something that looks like this. And and the anger of the Lord waxed hot against Israel. You know what that means in Ohio? God's ticked off. But one of the things that ticks God off is when you will not decide. And you run in here on Sunday and you say, oh, I love Jesus. God so loved the world. I love Jesus. And then you get with your buddies and go out in the world and you love the devil during the week. You come into the house of the Lord and you're sincerely repentant of your your sins, but you go back and do the same thing again. You're still doing the same stuff. 
You're still sleeping with the same girls or guys. You're still hanging out with the same crowd. You're still partaking of the things of the world because you forgot what you did. You, you have a divided heart. And James said, a person who's divided like that should never expect God to answer a prayer. Because you haven't chosen. You haven't decided. You know, I think sometimes we do this. We all do it, I suppose. But sometimes we do it to soothe our conscience. We, we pray a prayer of repentance, but we're, we're sorry that we're sinners because we don't want to go to hell, but we're not sorry that we're sinning. Because we love our sinful ways. And, and Paul says, listen, you have to decide. You can't play games with God. You have to decide. You're either on the Lord's side or you're not on the Lord's side. You're either drinking from the cup of Christ or you're drinking from the cup of demons, he says. And you can't do both. Can't do both. And I say very humbly and carefully, and Daniel, if you'll come, Some of you need to make up your mind whose side you're on. I love you with my whole heart. But you and I are talking about the same things all the time. Because you can't decide. You can't decide whose side you're on. You feel this condemnation of your spirit because you know that what you're doing is wrong. But you can't stop because you can't decide. You want heaven on your side, you got to make a decision. You got to walk out, walk away, walk from. That's what repentance is. Repentance means turning. It means this is who I am, and I'm choosing Jesus. And I'm turning, and I'm going in that direction. And when you turn in that direction, there's no going back. It's possible to go back, but there must be a commitment that I'm not going back. I'm not going back to the way I was. I'm not going back to the life I used to live. Two scriptures and then we're done. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, he said, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And then he goes on to explain, if you sow to the world, you'll reap the corruption that comes out of the world. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap everlasting life, he said. And though it sounds very blunt, but it's not said harshly, it's said with compassion. The mess that you're in is from the choices that you made. You chose the outcome. You chose what you had. You may not have realized it at the moment, but you chose it. When you went back, when you walked away from what God had done in your life, you chose it. You decided to pick up the cup of demons and start drinking from that cup again. And when you did, Paul said, you reaped it. Listen, if that's you, 
it's not too late. If Calvary's cross is worth anything, it's that it's never too late for you to turn your heart back toward God and allow the Lord to help you to start over. There's a guy sitting right here, right here by me today. He's my good friend, Anthony. I remember the night Anthony gave his heart to the Lord. We talked about it. And I will forever, ever, ever remember. Anthony said, I, I, I want to be careful. I don't want to be that guy that crawls up to the cross in the last minute of my life and says, forgive me. And I said to Anthony, you know why that story's in the Bible? So that you and I would know that he would take you at the last minute. At the last minute, it's not too late for you to make the right choice this morning. It's not too late. Last verse. In the closing remarks that Moses gave the children of Israel, he said in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, he said, here's what happened. God tested you out there in the wilderness. The things you went through, they were tests because God wanted to know what was in your heart. Not what you said. Not what you did when you signed a card. No, what was in your heart was the choice that you made a choice of the heart. I just feel so prompted right here. I wasn't going to say this, but I feel so prompted that somebody listening to me is probably saying, yeah, I've tried that so many times. And I just keep going back. I just keep falling back. I've tried to lay down the drugs. I've tried to lay down the booze. And I can't seem to get away from it. And I can't get over it. And I've tried that. Try it again. Try it again head bowed, every eye closed this morning. God, how powerful your word this morning has gone out from this place. How much you love us. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Now we invite you to visit one of our services soon. For more information, please visit us at lakeeriechurch.com.